Are you okay? And yeah, if you get that reference, we can definitely be friends. You know, I think every time I come to record this, which I have to do in one take because I haven't the time to research and look after my family and household and have mini breakdowns in the shower where I wonder if I'm a real boy after all. But um, but yeah, sorry. <laughs> every time I do this, it feels like I'm just repeating the things have just got weirder again lines. So you know what? From this point on, let's just take it as read that that's what's happened. Because it does make things easier. Not easier to understand, mind you. Just easier as in, I know, expectations. So with that in mind, this is in some kind of order, I suppose. But whatever, if this is your first episode, please go back and listen from episode one. Not promising it'll make things easier to understand, but it certainly won't make things worse. Anyway, to this week. As I mentioned last time, I have been focusing my attention on the concept of the dreamer and what that might mean. Or, as is often the case with anything to do with the museum, not. I won't lie. It's been hard. Not to find stuff. There's stuff everywhere, but more from a this can't be right point of view. Some of you have written in to say that you have heard of some of the language or terms, you know, whatever, um, that Dr Johansson was using in the psychiatric report that I read in episode 10, which was great because it really did give me something to hang stuff on. But unfortunately that stuff is, and there is no easy way to say this, completely barking, as well as being absolutely terrifying. And I will come back to that. But before that, I kind of want to explore the more, dare I say it, tangible links with the dreamer. Because I have a horrible feeling that if I dove right in with what I'm dreading might be my main theory. <sighs> Look, just trust me on this, okay? You've come this far with me and so you probably already know I need a bit of a mental run up to it all. And I'm the one with the hard evidence actually in front of her. And I still can't quite bring myself to, to believe this particular thread. It is something more powerful and it's... So, the dreamer, or indeed dreams in general. Um, dreaming is something that has fascinated humans for a long time. Whether it's the Greek god Morpheus or indeed Morpheus from the Matrix, the idea that reality is merely a dream of something more powerful is a pretty common motif in both mythology and in philosophy. The ancient Chinese philosopher Chang Zhu, I hope I'm saying that right, very famously pondered if he was a man dreaming he was a butterfly or a butterfly dreaming he was a man. Um, dream states can be very vivid. I actually know this firsthand as my family are basically the history of sleep disorders. Um, my mum has pretty intense night terrors to the point where yeah, I used to have to regularly stop her from jumping out of her bedroom window when I was a teenager. 
my dad was in the fire service and so he worked night shifts which meant us kids had to deal with her if she experienced one and as a side note I will never forget the time my brother came into my room looking wild-eyed saying he didn't know what to do and I found my mother trying to clean his fish tank out in her sleep and yes that is not an exaggeration it actually did happen um, I, I could spend the entire rest of this episode talking about all the sleep insanity my mum gets up to. Um, we kind of laugh about it now, but in the moment, it's pretty terrifying. I also have night terrors, but they're not quite as intense as my mother's. I, I tend to wake up convinced I have to hide and often find myself in you know, halfway down the stairs or maybe sometimes even trying to get into cupboards. Um, and the thing is, is that when I do finally wake up, there is this moment where I am still utterly convinced the dream is real. And I do often have trouble determining what is dream and what is reality at that time, even though I'm fully awake. And which means I'm still convinced something is trying to to do something, but I can't remember what it is. But I just know it's dangerous and that I have to hide or something will definitely happen, even if I don't know what it is. And needless to say, it's really disorientating. And you know, luckily, like my mum, my family are kind of used to it these days, to the point where I often forget that other people don't go through this. And so when I mention it in like you know, casual conversation, the looks I get, <laughs> I mean, it's actually quite funny. I've also had quite regular sleep paralysis episodes since I was a kid, though mine generally aren't visual, but rather I can feel something crawling up my body. Like, I'll feel every single footstep to the point where every single time I think it's one of my cats, you know, to begin with. But then I'll realise that I can't move. And then for some reason, something always laughs. And it's a really creepy laugh, like the Joker at Batman. And I snap out of it. Um, I also have hypnopompic and hypnagogic hallucinations and can lucid dream. So you can probably guess nighttime is fun in our house. I mean, I guess I'm telling you all of this because I can see where Chung Su was coming from in questioning what is actually real and what isn't. I mean, we take it for granted that what we experience on a day to day basis is the be all and end all. But is it really? We know animals, even plants, experience the world in very different ways to us. And who's to say that their reality is somehow inferior to ours? It's not inferior, it's just different. Everything from time to our senses to our relationships to other entities in our world changes depending on what you are. I've said it before, but we hold up humanity as the pinnacle to make a very crude point. It's one of the reasons some creationists get very upset when it's pointed out that humans have descended from the same prehistoric ancestor as modern primates. Hell, it's why God is depicted as a big sky daddy, rather than, I don't know, a big nebulous ball of gas that experiences the very fabric of time and reality in ways we will never be able to comprehend. And biblically accurate angels are mus- less muscular gigachads and a lot more holy shit what the fuck is that i don't know if you've seen them eyes and wings um we have placed ourselves at the top of the pyramid set ourselves apart from the natural world which has allowed us to both dominate and destroy everything else around us but when something comes along like a, a natural disaster the illusion is dropped and we 
kind of lose it. I mean, the pandemic was a perfect example of that. There are people who have to believe in those conspiracies because if they don't, they have to face up to the simple fact that we are indeed just animals. Just uppity apes with delusions of grandeur and social anxiety. Our infinite capacity for arrogance that has us deeming our needs are far greater than those of the other inhabitants of our planets. We're doing it every single time we cut down woodland to make way for a motorway, or drain and dig up marshland to make it suitable for for house building. We treat the land as a resource, and the inhabitants of that land as inconveniences, even if we notice them at all. The fact that there might be something else out there, something so huge and so different from us, that we can't even comprehend it as an intelligence, let alone communicate with it. Something that views us the same way we do bacteria. If we start to dwell on that stuff for too long, it's, it's not good for us. Here were the undisputed top dogs, God's favourite sons. Out there, we're nothing. Not a speck. This is why I hadn't really brought into the alien idea, because that assumes we are the goal, the end game, the prize, if you will. It's back to the size of time and the scope of the universe. Although I will say, pondering on your own insignificance within the bounds of the known universe is a bit of a comfort when you fucked up at work. Like, I'm not even an ant. Who cares if I got the date on that spreadsheet wrong? But yeah, back to the dreamer. The first thing that came to my mind when I heard that phrase was the First Nation creation myths of the Indigenous peoples of Australia. Although I feel it is important to mention that the so-called dreaming or dream time that we've all encountered was brought to our attention, and by ours I mean non-native peoples, through the lens of white Europeans and the Christian missionaries. And while I don't really want to go too far into the politics of it all, it is important, I think, to highlight that these cultural myths have often been changed in some way to suit our own narrative, to frame them in ways that we can relate to. And the dreaming is no different. Basically, it speaks of a time before humans, called the Everywhen, where ancestral beings walked the earth. They spoke of the Altjira, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, as an internal being who had no beginning, but again, it is worth noting that this has been criticised as Christian missionaries and misinterpreting the word, thinking it was the equivalent of a god, when it's really more akin to the concept of eternity, or associated with the past times. And this kind of further highlights the issue of trying to understand any of this, when you don't have a frame of reference for what you're trying to understand. You start to try to make comparisons with things that you do know, because how else are you going to fit it in your head? And and that's when things get really muddied. Which brings me to my main point. I've been kind of low-key dreading this for a couple of weeks. Ever since episode 10 and the whole file on Dr Johansson, I won't lie, I've been looking to find stuff that might, I don't know, debunk the stuff I found. This is, it's just too ridiculous to even contemplate as being real. 
And so, with a massive dose of, I'm using the language Dr. Johansson used, and the application of that language to something we consider fictional does not mean I take these things literally. I think that whatever the dreamer is, it's had a lot of names, and that, just don't laugh, okay? Don't immediately dismiss this out of hand. You've come with me this far. Please stay and suspend your disbelief. Because believe me, I am having to do the same. Even with all the evidence, this is a leap, even for me. So here goes. I want to take you back to episode six. That was the Mandela Effect episode where a little girl disappeared when the event hit a small fishing village. Um, I'm not sure where, but I'm suspecting the US and you'll find out why in a minute. The thing about episode six isn't so much what happened, it's where it happened. Innsmouth. Now, Innsmouth doesn't exist, okay? It's, it's a fictional town. Or at least it is here, in this reality, or timeline, or whatever. Remember back to, oh, I think it was the last week when I mentioned Terry Pratchett and the Trousers of Time? Well, he had another, um, not so sure if it was a theory as such, but, but it made a little footnote in one of his stories. I, I can't remember which one off the top of my head, but he said that ideas or, or maybe inspiration is a better way to describe it, but whatever. Um, it doesn't originate in people. It's something external to us with ideas sleeting through the universe and sometimes they just happen to hit the right mind and, you know, boom, computers, the wheel, cheese toasty makers, you know, you name it. It started with that idea. He does then go on about a very confused duck who got hit by an idea for, I know, cold fusion or something. Um, I don't exactly remember when, what it was, but yeah, the point still stands. The ideas are entities in their own right. And Stephen King has a similar theory about uncovering stories, like they're fossils. Yeah, they're already out there, and it's the writer's job to find them, excavate them, clean and polish them, and then set them free into the world. If you've ever written anything, or if you know a writer, you probably already know that characters do their own thing. Even though they're a complete construction of the author's imagination, they act as if they have wills of their own. And it is a really weird feeling, like I made you and you're arguing with me, or you're refusing to do something that I have plotted for you to do. Like, how does that work? But it comes up again and again. Another thing that I want to bring up is something we all learned in science at school, that one of the most fundamental rules of the universe is that energy cannot be created or destroyed. It can only change state. And that makes me wonder, is that kind of what's happening here? These ideas, maybe they're not plucked out of the ether, but rather they exist in different forms in different timelines. If every possible permutation of every single decision anyone has ever made results in the formation of an alternate universe, then it only makes sense that things that don't exist here actually may exist elsewhere. Isn't that just what fiction is? An exploration of an alternate world? Something vastly different from ours, other times only just a tiny little nudge away. 
which brings me back to this concept that ideas and inspiration are external to us in some way. And yes, I know how that sounds. Like I said, we're suspending disbelief right now, okay? Right, with all that in mind, do you know who H.P. Lovecraft is? I've already mentioned him in an earlier episode, and I know I've mentioned Cthulhu a bunch of times, mainly because he's fucking everywhere these days. Um, the thing is, before I started looking into this, I knew of him, but was by no means an expert on him and his creations. I knew of him mainly because I had a boyfriend years ago who used to really be into Call of Cthulhu role-playing game, and no, I didn't play, um, but I heard enough from him to get the gist. But apart from that and trying to read some of his stories, I think I skimmed the Dunwich Horror and maybe the Shadow out of Innsmouth, or whatever it's called, can't remember, uh, possibly others. One about a thing in a well, if I'm remembering correctly. But, but anyway, I just remember finding it all a bit odd and really overwritten. But um, anyway, H.P. Lovecraft was an early 20th century author who is credited with creating something that people like to call the Cthulhu mythos. Not that Cthulhu turns up in any story apart from one, unimaginatively called The Call of Cthulhu, but it really does show just how much that little green bastard has captured our imaginations, especially in recent years. But yeah, basically his whole mythos idea, which he created alongside other authors, it, it wasn't just him, but he's kind of the figurehead, if you like. Um, and it's all pretty influential on the modern horror scene. Most horror writers and filmmakers, etc., touch upon his concepts at some point. If you've ever read or watched Stephen King's It or seen John Carpenter's The Thing, which, as an aside, is my favourite film of all time, um, or hell, if you've ever sat down with your kids and watched Scooby-Doo Mystery Incorporated, another recommendation, um, you have seen or read something that could be considered Lovecraftian. Now, I'm not going to go into huge amounts of detail about H.P. Lovecraft as a person because Wikipedia exists, but I will say that while we're discussing him and his creations, I really do feel like I had to, to qualify... Is that the right word? But, but this with an acknowledgement of his, quite frankly, awful opinions about race. Although I did find it funny that he wrote The Rats in the Walls upon discovering that he had a Welsh ancestor. And dude, I get it. You know, joke. Don't come for me. My mother-in-law is Welsh. But yeah, he was a paranoid, racist, ultraphobic weirdo with a tentacle obsession. And a penchant for the word rugose. Yeah, like I said, I do my homework. And it's here that I will say that I am still doing that homework. So if I don't mention something that you think is important, please don't shout at me. I promise I'm doing my best and I might have come across it yet, or maybe I have and I don't know how it fits into all of this. Or, yeah. So back to the dreamer. When you Google the dreamer, the top hits are not for any cultural reference or myth or whatever. They are mainly for a fictional entity called Azathoth, which to me sounds more like a death metal band name, and it very well might be, but I'm not really into death metal, more of a 90s industrial fan myself, but you know, that's by the by. Um, and if it had just been that, then I might have been able to rationalise it all as a coincidence. I mean, the concept of something dreaming the world isn't exactly original. Chung Tzu came up with that back in ancient China. But it was when I started looking up The Crawling Chaos, a term I hadn't come across before, 
that the parallels started getting spooky. Again, please stay with me. I am struggling with this as much as I imagine you all are right now. Some of you already know the significance of this. I know this because you've told me. In fact, I'll let you in on a secret. I actually went into this research with the hope that I might be able to, to, to debunk all of it. But I couldn't. I just couldn't. When you go looking for the dreamer, the crawling chaos isn't far away. According to my air quotes research, the crawling chaos is another name for an entity called Nyalathotep or Nyalathotep or Nyalothotep. I don't know. Other, it doesn't really matter. The thing is, is that this entity is always portrayed as a kind of herald for Azathoth, an extension of Azathoth's will. In Lovecraft's mythos, Azathoth is a creator god not a nice benevolent one, but also not strictly evil in the human sense of the term, because Azathoth is so huge as to be completely incomprehensible, beyond the concepts of good and evil. He also goes by the rather interesting sobriquet of the blind idiot god, which in itself feels problematic, but I think it's more a reference to him, or it, or I think I'm going to go with him because as we know, pronouns matter. But um, anyway, it's more of a reference to the simple fact that we are just too small and insignificant to be recognised by him. It is said that he is serenaded by a troop of musicians, for lack of a better term, um, that play flutes and beat drums in a bid at keeping him asleep, which kind of feeds into the idea of the choir that Dr. Yamanchin mentioned, but, but more on that later. The reason he has to stay asleep is that he is quite literally dreaming the universe. We are his dream. Everything we do, he's dreamt it. Everything and everyone from the largest of galaxies to microbial life is of his construction. Only problem is Azathoth really likes his dreams and he wants to join us. And that's where Nyarlathotep allegedly comes in. Where all the other entities in the mythos are either far away or asleep in some way, Nyalathotep is, shall we say, a busy bee. He's there to do Azathoth's bidding, and Azathoth wants to wake up, so that's Nyalathotep's focus. Out of all the entities, or deities, or whatever you want to call them, Nyalathotep is really the only one you could call traditionally malevolent. The others are just there, going about their business, not really taking any notice of the teeny tiny lives that they might be snuffing out. Kind of like us bleaching the loo. You know, we just want a clean bathroom, goodbye other life forms that don't matter. But Nyarlathotep, he's actively out to cause trouble. He's the one who is directly and indirectly whipping up the humans, getting them to do stuff that will help him achieve his admittedly murky goals. So in the mythos, he's the one responsible for all the cults and the madness and making sure the Necronomicon gets to the right or wrong, depending on your point of view, hands. Obviously, there are other players, but right now I want to keep this simple, or at least as simple as I can. Here, all of the above is firmly in the realm of the fictional, made up. There is no Necronomicon, no Azelred, no deep ones, none of it. But wherever all of this stuff came from, that's where it gets complicated. 
Because while I don't think all of it is real, the evidence I have points to at least some of it being real. I'm struggling with all of this. It feels so... It just feels so stupid. It's like it was hard enough to accept that all of the museum content might have come from a different reality, but to then find out that the thing that may have caused it all is from a body of fictional work that has been touted as real, occult law disguised as make-believe, that I can't wrap my head around. There is so much here, and I know I've already said that. And I keep going over it again and again, and I still find new stuff. I feel I could spend the rest of my life combing through all of this and only ever understanding a fraction of it. And this has been, what, three, four months? And that doesn't count the time I spent before I started this. I just feel like I've only just scratched the surface of it all. Just what? the fuck is going on? If we take all of this as fact, is that what happened on the 29th of February 1992? Did Azathoth wake up? Or, or did Nyarlathotep arrive and change everything? And we haven't even got to the call from the Earth, located rather conveniently in the South Pacific, where the Ye is supposed to be located. That's the place where Cthulhu is supposed to be sleeping. Because, yeah, yeah why not? If Azathoth and Nyarlathotep are real in this timeline, then it stands to reason that Cthulhu would be there too. Did he rise from the waters and then, what, bring the apocalypse? Look, I am painfully aware of how I sound right now, but what else is there? When I go back and look at the letters and the reports and the newspaper articles again, with all of this new knowledge, things do start to make an awful kind of sense. Things that were once random find a kind of chaotic order, which I know is an oxymoron, but I don't know how else to describe it. And then there's the important bit. The people. Where did they go? Well, this actually does explain that. That these people, for some reason, were plucked from their lives to, what, wake up Azathoth? Or keep him asleep. Although, I don't think that would make sense. That's not what Nyan Athetel wants to do. He wants to wake Azathoth up. Maybe they chose people born on that day because, as we've already ascertained, that day doesn't always exist. It's ephemeral. In my initial research into all of this, and by the way, I'm in no way anywhere near finished with it, a phrase or a concept really stood out. When the stars are right, or the stars are finally right, and I still don't know exactly what that means, but I can guess. Certain celestial configurations need to be present for these entities to be able to manifest. I mean, I'm struggling to find the right vocabulary to rationalise the irrational, to make the most basic order out of this supreme chaos, I don't know what I'm going to do next. I kind of want to stop. Because this is getting scary now. 
and not just in a, I've got to figure this out because if it's real, it's already obliterated at least one timeline already and it might be coming for us next way. But also in a very real, maybe this is it. Maybe all of this has finally driven me mad way. I don't know where to go from here. Or more accurately, I, I do. I'm just not sure if I'm capable of it. I think I need to, I think, I think I need to pause this. Not not abandon it, you know, just give myself some headspace. Although, you know, knowing how this works, I'll be back within the week with another, hey guys, <laughs> things just got weirder update. But, you know, whatever happens, thank you. And please take care. Uh, I'll be back. I, I will. I promise. I, I promise. Museum of the Missing is written, performed and produced by Claire Waller. The title song, Museum of the Missing, was written by David Rizal and is performed by David Rizal and Claire Rizal. It is used with permission. If you're enjoying the story, please rate, review and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Contact details and social media links are in the show notes. If you wish, you may also buy the podcast a coffee at Museum of the Missing. Thank you for listening.